Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. I'm Brian Moore and alongside me in the studio is the former Gloucester and England winger James Simpson Daniel. This week we're joined by James Hassel, Nigel Owens, Stephen Ferris, Sarah Hunter and Gary Schofield. James, question from Henry Windsor. What's your favourite country to play in? Good question. Um, it was a long time ago. It was a lifetime ago. Um, I've had the pleasure of travelling around the world playing in in lots of countries. Um, everyone hates the English. Wherever we go, everyone absolutely hates us. Even when we're not any good. I was just going to say, yeah, and we, you can be even close to home. Sometimes they seem to not like us. But um, the one place I did go, and I was pleasantly surprised by the way we received, was Hong Kong. Uh, it, it helped that we won the, the year that it happened, and um, a very special memory for me. But yeah, Hong Kong was fantastic. Played there only once, actually, and um, and yeah, it was it was a special trip. Funnily enough, I think um, I think Australia probably for the sort of experience you can have in the country, the you know the the breadth of experience you can dive and you can ski and you can do all these sorts of things. Um, but the actual tour that I enjoyed the most was the England students tour. I went on in '82, which was to Japan and Hong Kong. Mm. And that was just a, a fantastic tour for, for actually the, the the players and the and the sort of camaraderie on there. So that's a, a different matter. Um, one thing we didn't do uh, while we're on tour, we didn't um, ever put our hands through the bars of a lion's cage and stroke the lion. Now Scott Baldwin, this has, <laughs> this has become an internet um, favourite, um, and you just hear this yelp in the background. Um, we shouldn't laugh, should we? He could have lost his arm. Well, no, yeah, that he could have lost his his hand, and or, or yeah, even worse, depending on uh, depending on what happened. But I, I, you can't really give rules for this, can you? Because isn't it obvious? You'd think so, but I was watching the video. I think that I think the lions really played him there. They were rubbing up against the bars, acting all friendly. It's almost like he thought it was a big dog. You know, my, my bull mastiff does that to my uh, to my legs, and I give him a pat. But I think he just couldn't help it. It's like they hear these um, tourists in Africa. They jump off the four by four to try and stroke and pet the lions, and surprise, surprise, they get eaten up. And I think um, I think the lions definitely got one over on him there to get him to stick his hand through. Uh, well, I thought the uh, Steve Tandy, the coach's description of it being very silly, was quite generous, to be honest. Um, uh, Tony Rowe, the um, Exeter Chief Chairman, was talking about the extended season and, and we 
spoke to Damien Hopley, uh, chairman of the RPA, who was very much against this. Now, Tony Rowe's point of view was that it gave a chance for more breaks and not more games for players, pointing out that uh, there weren't um, enough periods of the season where you could demonstrably have a break uh, and that players were contracted to a certain number of games only and couldn't play any more. Now, you've only relatively recently retired. You've been in the professional era a long time. What do you say about that? Well, I think, I think whenever you're discussing about the amount of game time people are playing, the amount of minutes they're getting, how can we manage the modern-day players so that their bodies aren't going through the... Um, you know, they're getting the bashes and the contacts that that, uh, that they get in training. Um, it's a tricky one to, to discuss. My viewpoint and my experiences over the years is that you would, you know, a few times I'd hear it where they'd say, you can play the next two or three weeks, and then after that you can have a break. Uh, and then something happens in those two or three weeks, players get injured in your position, and that break never arrives. So you end up playing all the way through, and it just becomes a long continuation. You've also got the thing at the end of the season whereby... I think that at the end of the season, you should be given a complete window of rest. So if they say, right, you're going to have three weeks off of doing nothing at all because we need your body and your mind to switch off. Yeah, go and have a swim on the beach, in, in the uh, in the pool or you know in the sea at the beach and um, go on a mountain bike or whatever. But I don't, I'm not a big fan of giving set programs that, that early when you're in your off-season. Things like treadmill sessions, um, getting down the track. Uh, I think you should be given a clear-cut rest to switch your body and your mind off because you've got such a long pre-season you can slowly build back up gradually to to try and hit peak come the start of the of the season and, and what i'd say is irrespective of whether there are to be breaks during the season where you do say to players look you've got a, a time off as you say that might not occur because in extremis you just have to because someone goes down and you're loyal to your club mates you will always play but i don't think that you're out of season. It's not the same relaxing period knowing that there's a possibility that you might play. And even so, because you're in the season, you don't put your feet up, do you? You've got to maintain the fitness in a way that, you know, you're not having downtime and you can't afford the downtime that you could have if you were completely off season and you're definitely finished. Yeah, you've, you've always got to be ready so that if on the morning of the kickoff someone has been ill overnight or something has happened, and I've seen it happen, Players have suddenly said, and they've, they've openly turned around and gone, yeah, I went for a couple the other night because I wasn't meant to be involved. And I get a call because someone did his hamstring in the warm-up and someone was ill. Or, yeah. um, and then suddenly they're on the bench. And that's not they're not prepared for a game. They're not saying they've gone out and had a, a skinful a few days. But actually, is their mind in the right place? You're never quite letting your mindset... You're, never like, you're almost never letting your hair down because you are aware that there's a solid enough chance that you're going to get called in if something goes wrong. Uh, well, we'll speak to um, James Hastel about you know his point of view, and uh, I don't think he's been as vocal as say Billy Vanapola on this. But um, let's look at the uh, overall uh, the Aviva Premiership. There were wins for for Bath, Northampton, Leicester, Saracens, Newcastle, and Sale Sharks. I don't want to intrude on private grief from your fifty-seven ten, but uh, well, let's just just talk about that. Sale's yeah. not an easy place to play, actually. Sale's not an easy place to play. The only thing you're going to get when you go to Sale, I mean, this with the utmost respect to the club, you haven't got a great big packed house that are that are on your back the way you'll go to some some grounds, and you know that it's going to be not hostile, but it's going to be really like you're playing Bath derbies, and the, the the stands are full and people are shouting whatever else. When you turn up to Sale, sometimes it can be 
in the utmost respect, can be half empty. You know, mm-hmm. there's, they don't pack it out all the time except for big occasions, big bigger fixtures. That can be a little bit of a distraction in itself. The bus journey, the travel, it's never the most straightforward type of thing. But a lot of the time now you'll go up the night before mm-hmm. or you'll go up the morning of and have plenty of time to, to get your head around it. Um, I think in Gloucester's instance, on this, on this occasion, the absolute hiding they got, uh, talking to a couple of lads, I think Gloucester almost naively played into Sale's hands. I think that the game plan was probably to run it from a, um, large areas of the pitch, try and create tempo. Um, and I think you've also got to earn the, wi- earn the right to go wide. Mm-hmm. And from what I was hearing, Gloucester, and looking at some of the, the highlights, it almost looked like they were shoveling the ball wide. Well, it doesn't help giving three interception tries but you give either. But you give away three interception tries because you're, you're not going direct, yeah. you're not, you're not yeah. earning the right to go wide there. So you're thinking, I want to get it into the wide channel, so I'll shovel it out there. And actually, you need to go forwards and get, get the defence retreating before you can push the ball out to the likes of Henry Chinder in your back three. Um, so, you know... Sale, well done. Absolutely thumped them. Apparently, as far as Gloucester are concerned, Gloucester made them look better than they were. If you're talking to Sale fans, I'll just say, well, we like the floor in them because Gloucester were rubbish and we were pretty good. Okay, well, if anyone saw the way that Northampton surrendered to Saracens on the first weekend, I don't think anybody, even the most diehard Saints fan, would have predicted that it would have bounced back in such an impressive uh, way. And I... um, Wrote about this, and I said it's quite obvious that they've had a they've had a, a clear the air soul searching meeting because they're playing not only with um, with the spirit, they're playing. With, it seems to me they're transparently playing with emotion, um, and that that that, that reverse has, has hurt them a lot, and so it should have done. But um, is it is it just a question of it not going right on the first day, or is there something more? Behind behind it than that, you think? Well, it'd be interesting. You know, we always talk about loving to be a fly on the wall in changing rooms. And actually, how did they look? How did they assess that first game? Because I agree with you, they were diabolical. It was really, really poor. And again, give um, give Saracens the credit they deserve for making them look that way. But Northampton were just—they weren't the side that we've seen in recent weeks that have been very direct, very, very back to basics. As you say, it's almost a personal. It was a, it's almost a personal vendetta. They're, when they're looking at the opposition, they're going, right, I'm going to get over that gain line before you can tackle me. It's that personal edge and knit and grit. And um, I don't know whether they looked at the first game and said, look, we were just rubbish that first game. And the next games that we've seen so far, that's what we're about. Or has there been a spark to make that I'll happen? I'll tell you what it's got the hallmark of. You know, it, it's a very big cliche. Nevertheless, like most cliches, got an element of truth. When you have this thing about personal battles if you win your personal battle today and we mm. win more personal battles we mm. will win the game and it, it, it seems to me they've taken this almost on an individual basis to say right this is the way it's going to be with us um, but whatever whatever has happened there's, a, there's, an, uh, there's an honesty about the performances in the same way that I interviewed um, uh, on the show Dean Richards the director of rugby of Newcastle and he was quite insistent that when they picked players they did so now with a very, very firmly in mind view that they had to fit into the Newcastle ethos. And it didn't matter whether they were value for money, they're not one of the biggest spenders. That was the principal uh, requirement before anything else. Um, and I think, you know, because they don't spend up to the salary cap, yeah. that seems to be, you know, paying, pay, you know, paying dividends. Couldn't agree more. What a breath of fresh air! And you know, do we do we need to give Dave Walder a lot of credit here? Because I think he's taking a little bit more of the of the lead on the coaching front. Um, obviously, they've they've got John Wells up there, who's who's going to be doing his part as well. But but 
Dave Walder was always quite a creative player the way he played. That side are seriously good at the moment. You know, when you're watching them, even in that game in uh, in America against uh, against Saracens, the brand of rugby they were trying to play, they were trying to play an expansive game. In fairness, Saris always looked like they were in control in that match. The game the other day, Newcastle looked like a serious outfit. You know, the way they were playing rugby, the brand of rugby they were playing, they were direct through the middle. They were then going wide. They were using their quick runners. The scrum half was very busy. Um, I tell you what I like about the scrum half in particular. No backlift on his on his service. All from the wrist. Uh, no, doesn't take a step, generally. Yeah. You know, so the, out, as an outside back, you'll know the difference between that. Well, that's a half a that's a half a meter from the defensive line coming up into your face because, as you say, he's got the strength in his wrist. Get it away, quick, uh, and he's also quite busy getting in and trying to get the ball away. He knows he wants to get it into his tense hands or his next runner's hands, and I think um, I think if he can stay fit, he clearly gives them good direction. But they've got good strike runners across the field now, and and like I said, I watched that game the other the uh, the other day, and yeah, London Irish were weren't weren't brilliant, but Newcastle looked cl- a class act. Mm. And a couple of times, you know, I've noticed this in the in the Worcester game. When you've got players coming around the corner and you know it's one or two of three, when scrum halves wait and wait and wait to identify the particular person, all they're doing is giving the defence that crucial two seconds. You know, and, and it's so much better just to, just to whip it to one of them earlier and, you know, get them over the gain line quicker and have less time for people to realign and count. Yeah, and it also, if you ask a lot of the forwards, thank goodness I never had to run into those brick walls, but, but if you ask some of the forwards, they want to get their ball on the hands early so they can almost get it controlled and try and find a space there, yeah. a hole. Not a lot of players like taking what you call the line ball, you know, punching the gap and taking the ball and it looks fantastic when they get it right and they go clean through. But you do get a lot of times now, guys try to do that. As the ball comes, they're not quite concentrating on the on the ball because they know they're going to get hit. Then they cough it up and then it's suddenly a, a knock-on advantage. Yeah. And I think I think certainly there's there's value for scrum halves knowing the strike runners as to occasionally give them the ball early to allow them to try and make that dominant um, carry. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm pleased to say that we can uh, speak to James Haskell, the Was England and Lions Flanker, it's the uh, WAS 150th anniversary. Uh, James, are you there? Good, guys. How are you? Hi, Hask. Okay, mate. Um, last few weeks have not gone as well as uh, you'd certainly want. Is this just temporary or um, should you be worried? Um, look, I think it's always worrying to, to, to get, um, you know, to have consecutive losses. Obviously, it's not something we've had to, to deal with in the last couple of years. Um, obviously, you know, WAS going from, from, from strength to strength, but... Look, I think it's going to be very character testing for, for everyone. Uh, I think teams do have, um, you know, sort of purple patches and people do have bad times. And I think I was seeing um, Klopp talk about Liverpool saying that, that, you know, this was their bad time. And, uh, you know, for Wasp, the last few weeks, it's been our bad time. Hopefully we'll um, be able to turn that round. And I think, you know, it's obviously easier said than done. But if, if all the players in, in the squad are, are looking to, to improve individually, that, that will only help the, uh, help the course. Uh, how do you think the international period is going to go for you? You likely to lose a number of players um, in in previous seasons. You, you've caught with that. What about this time round? You have a lot of injuries. Yeah, I think obviously you know injuries are uh, an issue across the board at the moment. I think um, obviously Wasps have had um, you know slightly more publicity on theirs. I think uh, it's interesting talking to some boys in different teams that most. Most squads at the moment seem to have quite a few injuries. Um, I don't know why that is. I think obviously you know, we all know that rugby's getting more and more attritional. Um, 
I think the international period will be interesting. I think obviously a lot of places are are up in the air. I think there will be you know a lot of people that will be left out, and I think there will be people who um, will will obviously get that opportunity. And I think Wasps have dealt with it very well. We've obviously got um, you know a good squad of good squad of guys, and just as some boys are, are, are um, going away with injury. A lot are coming back from injury at the moment. Um, so hopefully that will balance things out. But I think, you know, obviously it's always hard when you're, when you're losing. I think when you get a couple of wins under your belt, the, the world always seems a better place. Uh, just a quick one, continuing there, Hask, if, if you don't mind, regarding the injury situation. You don't like to hide behind injuries. It is a part of the game and you do rely on your squad um, did PDJ go off the other day? How's he looking? Yeah, he's all right. I, I don't. I can't obviously. Um, you know, I, I don't know anything about about the specifics. Obviously, um, you know, he, he hurt his knee. Uh, I'm not sure how bad it was. Obviously, it was sad. I think um, I tried to tell him it was an unbelievable dive pass he did from one of the rucks, <laughs> taking taking rugby back to, to 1989. Um, but uh, yeah, I think a scrum sort of collapsed on him and he hurt his knee. But obviously. Everything will be uh, be assessed probably today. Uh, I haven't actually had a chance to, to catch up. He's normally lying on the sofa opposite me, uh, <laughs> relaxing, trying to get a bit of rebuild time from from the family. But sadly, he's um, he's down seeing a specialist today. James, which of the versions do you um, believe? Uh, that might be a bit too strong a word, but have you more favour with uh, on the extended season than the, the the opinion that it actually it's too much or that it will give players defined breaks? Where do you stand on that? I think it's it's a very tricky um, case of affairs. Uh, the extended season. I, I, look, I'm a personal. I, look, I tell you, instead of going about which which version, I'll give you my view on things. I think that you know rugby's got it's got harder and harder every year that's gone by. I think that you know uh, back when I first started playing, um, you know there was obviously a lot of tough games, but you know you could go you could send a, a weakened team to certain places and get a big scores um, and. You know, it wasn't as it wasn't as intense as traditional. The, the training um, wasn't as intense. Everyone wasn't quite physically physically matched. Now everyone's as fit. Everyone's as big. Everyone's as conditioned. Everyone's got the technology. You know, one club might pioneer something, but then the next year everyone's got it. Everyone's got their S and C guys. And the big thing I think across the board is, is just the rest. You know, it's the rest that the players get. You know, we, we've now got this mandatory five weeks, which I think is great. But for what we have to put our bodies through, and for the length of the season, you know, I really, I really argue that that you know we could do with more rest. Whether that's more rest in the season, so um, you know, whether we do cut down cut down games, you know, obviously when I, when I played Super 15, um, you know, they had a different structure where they played obviously their um, you know living in New Zealand, they played the New Zealand teams twice, and then they they played the uh, the Australian and South African teams once each, and some teams they didn't play. You know, I think there's arguments to look at different things. I don't think anyone wants any more games. Um, however, you know com- how many commercial benefits there would be from that, and I think spreading things out, it's very hard because a lot of stuff in rugby and in sport, especially, is done out of fear—fear fear of, oh, um, you know, are we gonna, if we don't train as hard as the other team, are we going to miss out? If we don't do more training or we don't do a contact session on a Tuesday, does that mean the boys aren't going to be mentally ready for a game on Saturday? As opposed to looking at data, there's so much data collected now, and I don't think it's being utilised properly. I don't think people are looking at it and actually coming to the correct conclusions. A lot of it's, you know, you, you look, James has to tell you, you know, it's one of those things, uh, well, he's being a back, he probably wouldn't be able to say that much about contact <laughs> work. But, but the, the point is that a lot of things are done in rugby because you feel you should do, as opposed to data backing up saying you have, you have to. And I think that that's the one thing that's got to change. You've got to start being able to go, do you know what? We don't need to train today. We don't need to do three sessions today. We don't need to do live contact training. Um, and that we actually give guys a, a rest. And that's, that's for me, 
is far more important than anything because all these teams are wearing this data and no one's doing anything good with it. And, that, and that's the biggest problem. And if you looked at all that, looked at trends, looked at injuries, then you could formulate a constructive opinion as opposed to a lot of conjecture and a lot of rhetoric. One of the problems with you know, with that and, and, and the sheer amount of information is the number of jobs because obviously you've got strength and conditioning coach, you've got analysts and everyone, as you know, wants to put their two pen thing to make sure they feel that they're actually contributing. It's very difficult for a coach in a certain area um, or an, an analyst in a certain area to say, actually, you know what, let's skip my bit. I I, I'm not relevant yeah. this week. I couldn't agree, Brian. I honestly could not agree with you. I could not agree with you more that often having more coaches is seemed, you know, seems better. You know, if you've got more coaches, you must be a better side. Um, and it is a problem. Everybody wants their, their pound of flesh and everybody thinks what they're doing is doing right. And what, it, what it's going to take is a very strong um, you know, director of with very strong people in charge to actually say, no, look, this is what we need to do and, 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 and test the water. You know, it's almost like um, there's a couple of things my girlfriend was telling me about um, podcast where in basketball they talk about uh, free throws that actually if you threw the ball underarm in basketball a free throw the percentage accuracy is incredible but because nobody wants to do it and nobody wants to be the weird bloke that throws it underarm everyone throws it overhand and misses yep. all because it's the perpetuation of the, 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 the norm and that's ridiculous it's the same things in often rugby there's probably sensible things you should do sensible things you could do but actually we don't do them because we don't want to be the first ones not to train and we don't want to lose a couple of games because we didn't do it. It's almost like that film Moneyball as well, you know, where they, they eventually changed the system, started looking at analysis, putting their fear, putting their prejudice, putting the, the old perceived belief out the way and letting people actually get on and progress. And I think that's what, what needs to happen at some point. Uh, interesting, Hask. All the all the stuff you said. I always love it when you uh, when you have an opinion because it's pretty, uh, you know, it's really interesting stuff. But you mentioned earlier about the five week um, period that you get in the off season now. What do you do in that five weeks? Is it a case of two or three weeks of nothing? Or is it, you know, do you train during that, that five-week period? So for a long part of my career, um, every, I mean, I, I've never had, actually up until this year, was the first time I've ever had five weeks. Everything else has always been three and a half weeks um, holiday because of, um, you know, things like tours or coming back early or wanting to train. You know, when I was younger, I was fanatical about my training and I would always spend a lot of time doing it. On holiday this time, I always take two weeks complete rest like I don't do anything I won't train I'll eat what I want I'll drink what I want I'll relax and I'll recover and then if I'm on holiday I'll, I'll go and train with my, my my missus I'll go and I'll go and do stuff that I really want to enjoy because I feel that helps you recharge and you know, when you're playing rugby you know the gains you make in 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 a normal training week it's, it's very limited you're just trying to it takes you two, two to three days to recover after a game yeah. you spend the rest of the week working on your own individual core skills little bits of performance tweaks you might get one gym session in, the rest of it's mobility, and you're looking at team performance. On holiday, it's being able to go, do you know what, I'm going to go and do that bit of fun training. I'm going to go and do a bit of fun weights. I'm going to do, you know, some bit of left field stuff. That, that, yeah. That's what I would normally do. And I would relax, but I would then sort of let myself fully mentally, you know, recover. And then come the last kind of week, or just before I get back to pre-season, maybe being a bit more sensible stuff. And then, you know, as soon as the first day of pre-season comes in, I change my diet, I change everything, and that's what I've been doing. You know, I've, I've given myself six and a half weeks back playing with Was. You know, I haven't drunk, I haven't done anything. I've been on the strictest diet possible. I've been doing everything I possibly can to have, a, to have a great season. But I feel good now and excited to play because I had five weeks of doing what I wanted to do yeah. with no pressure and no stress. Uh, I, is, uh, is Joe Mahler off your, off your Christmas card list? No, no, sadly, sadly he's not. I, I, love, I love Joe. Um, 
you know, he's the guy that uh, is a specialist in what he does. Um, he was obviously, um, he caught, you know, I mean, everyone says, um, everyone says I lost, you know, lost control, went mad. I mean, I didn't, because I didn't throw any punches or do, do anything bad. You know, I just did a little bit of, little bit of judo uh, and uh, and went for the old Vulcan death grip, um, which obviously, you know, you can't do, as, as a few mothers wrote to me. Apparently, they had to explain to their children as to why I was choking someone out live on TV. Um, but look, you know, I, I love Joe. You know, he's special to what he does. Um, I, I weighed it up in my mind and felt that I wasn't prepared to have my, my lid pulled off and work, water squirted in my face and, and I decided to make a, a make a stand. And also, you know, it was the first game back to the se- in for the season. I'd had five weeks of of kind of holiday and training and, and wanted to get out there and play. Yeah. On a serious point though, you know, in the NFL the, the, there are taunting penalties because um, they, they just found that um, it was creeping into the game. Can you foresee uh, the same happening in rugby? Um, I don't know. I think, um, you know, the, the gamesmanship that happens in rugby I think is, um, you know, it's not necessary issue. I, I don't, you know, I think that, you know, a little, little bit of the dark arts you always talk about it, as long as it's not causing people injury you know isn't isn't massive i think obvious stuff blatant stuff um you know that you put yourself at risk of getting penalized for you should you should be penalized for you know if you're silly enough to do it so you can get caught then that's then that's what happens i think that you know rugby is changing now dramatically in terms of again when i first started playing what was an acceptable good hit is now probably a a yellow card slash maybe even a red card um you know some of the, the 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 play that's being monitored is great my, my big concern with everything is that you know they, they're going for some big issues but they're missing some other bits and you know they're you know if you're going to have linesmen you're going to have guys and obviously the referee is the you know respecting him is sacrosanct but just as we are expected to um raise our standards you know those guys need to raise their standards and make sure that they they they, they you know they, they make the right calls and, and and do things and and that's that's for me is the most important thing if you're on a level playing field and you feel like everything's all equal and everything's being monitored, then and you've got nothing to complain about. If you get caught doing something stupid, then that's fine. I, I don't think people should be, you know, for, for, for ruled out. I do think, you know, in my, in my case, we both should have been punished or not punished at all or, or whatever. Um, but, but, you know, otherwise than that, you know, you put yourself at risk now. There's so many different camera angles. You, you don't get past anything. Like, you, don't, you don't, honestly don't get away with anything anymore. And if you do, somebody's seen it and, and doesn't have the, the balls to call it. Yeah, James. Thank you. Great value as always. Good luck, uh, club and international wise this season, mate. No problem. Cheers, guys. Cheers, thank you. Time now to turn to the Guinness Pro 14, and I'm pleased to say we've got the former Ulster Islands and Lions flanker Stephen Ferris to to help us with the uh, with last weekend's action. Uh, Stephen, hello. Hello. Good evening. How are you? Okay. Thanks. I, I, look, I have to good. start with this, and you know where I'm going to start. Uh, there's a zebra surprise score to me. Uh, Twenty-seven. 23 victors they were at home to Ulster. Nevertheless, um, uh, it did come as a, a shock to me. Surprise to you or not? Oh, absolutely. Huge surprise. Um, I think Ulster just went over there and took uh, took Zebra for granted that they were going to get the victory and a spirited, passionate Zebra team at home in front of a half-decent crowd. I've played there myself before and um, it's usually... Not a great uh, venue to go to, but you know they they played all the rugby and Brent they deserved to win the match. Mm-hmm. Zebra deserved to win this, um, and uh, you know Ulster will be 
can home with their tails between their legs and they're going to have to work hard because they've got a couple of big fixtures coming up. Connaught at home next week in the local derby and next Friday night at Kingspan Stadium and then they'll be facing certain James Haskell that was just off the phone there in the in the Champions Cup. So um, it's a huge dent in their momentum because they you know were four out of four and uh, going going very nicely. But you know they're going to have to buck up their ideas come Connaught next Friday. Connaught couldn't quite uh, do it against the defending champions who lost. Um, 36-27 to Scarlets but uh, bearing in mind where they were uh, are we to put this down to overachievement uh, you know, a couple of seasons ago or, or, or just a natural cycle of things and, and the improvement in other teams Yeah I think improvement in other teams um, I think Connett have, have shown a lot of enterprise in the rugby that they try to play um, they competed home narrowly to Cardiff also a couple of weeks ago um, a change in coaching staff and, and everything down in Galway so it's all, all a, a bit of a change down there but I like the way they play they throw it around they know they don't have these huge massive guys that are going to scrum and maul teams off the pitch uh, so they have to use their skills they have to use their ability and they play a nice wide 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 game which can trouble teams but um, you know when you're playing against the Scarlets uh, you know kind of playing into their hands and, and the Scarlets just scored more points than they did but you know Connell's going to be a tough fixture for Ulster this Friday night coming and um, you know as, as I mentioned they're referred to Ulster are going to have to really buck up their ideas and it's going to be very interesting Brian because I think you're going to get a good picture of what Ulster's starting mm-hmm. first starting team is going to be like the big team that's going to go on and represent Ulster in the European Cup the following week because it's all been chopped and changed and and that's one of the frustrating things that there's been running through the, every supporter and fan um, and, and any pundit is just trying to get their head around the amount of changes week in, week out. Um, I suppose everybody deserves a chance. Everybody deserves an opportunity. Uh, but we'll certainly see what Les Kiss's first choice team is going to be this Friday. Uh, Stephen, hi, it's James here. Um, just, hi, James. Just going back to what you were saying earlier about the, about Zebra deserving the win, um, a couple of people, I haven't seen a lot of their form actually, as in I haven't seen them play, but a couple of people I've spoke to reckon that, like you said, they've deserved their wins. They've had a couple of wins so far. And um, Is Conor O'Shea, do you think, getting amongst the clubs, do you think he's really helping out there? Because if he is, it could help the Italians come the Six Nations because obviously they've been so disappointing for a long time. Do you think he might be having his influence into the clubs now? Potentially. Um I can't really comment on it because I'm not on the inside of the Italian teams. I know there was a lot of talk about um, bringing Zebra and Benetton together and making it one uh, team, one franchise, playing out of Italy, and that possibly could have strengthened their national team. But I think the way they started off, they obviously beat the Southern Kings, uh, put 40-odd points in them, and then backed it up with a terrific result against Ulster. And they seem to be taking the same mantle as Connacht. They seem to play rugby. They're running the ball out of their own 22. They were forcing uh, Ulster into a lot of mistakes. Their their, their line speed and defence just really caught Ulster uh, big time. And and they just seem to have a real appetite. I was watching the game. Obviously, Conor O'Shea was in the crowd looking on. And maybe he has had a bit of an influence. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to fight for when it comes to the national side. And for me, Italy... A bit like Ulster last week, need to buck up their ideas and make sure that um, when it comes to Six Nations that they are trying to compete because uh, the last couple of seasons has been very, very disappointing. Uh, I spoke to Reggie Corrigan you know, after a couple of games and he probably quite rightly actually was very uh, was very unhappy about the contribution that the South African sides have made and yet now the Cheetahs, um, yeah, they've, they've gone with a third successive uh, victory. Is it too early to judge how they will do in the long run? I think so. Uh, I probably would have been in an agreement with Reggie, um, especially after the first couple of weekends when 
the Cheetahs, you know, got hammered by Ulster and the Kings um, didn't go well either. And everybody was like, geez, the last thing the Pro 14 needs is two South African teams that are going to get beaten every week and two Italian teams that are going to get beaten every week. And then Treviso put in a good shift uh, at home against Ulster and then they go away um, and they beat Edinburgh and Isaiah Zebra are, are putting in good performances. And you see the Cheetahs now three on the bounce. So I think it's healthy. The competition is, is, is growing. Um, everybody had their own opinions and own views on, on how this season was going to go. But I think the, the addition of the, uh, of the two South African teams is, is fantastic. I just hope that all the logistics and, um, are su- sustainable going forward because I think that would be my biggest issue is, is you know, in three or four years' time, will we see other South African teams in, in, in the competition or what way will it go? But uh, for me, it's been a great start. Uh, it's brilliant to see new talent and new faces coming to the Pro 14. And, um, you know, hopefully they go well for the rest of the season. When I looked at the tournament and the way it's structured, you've got everyone home and away in your group and then you've got one of this. You play the other um, teams in the other conference once. Now, I thought, depending on how that, especially with the uh, Italian and South African clubs, depending when you get the home or an away fixture against them, could be very significant in the end uh, for the final places. Is that, is that going to be the case, do you think? Um, possibly, but I don't think it's going to make too much difference to the likes of Munster, Leinster, um, Ulster so far this season, the big teams, the Scarlets also. I think there's a, there's a clear difference between the, the top six teams in the, in the league than, than anyone else. Um, and I know Ulster could beat at the weekend and that's the wake-up call that they probably need to get things back on track. But I feel in the two conferences, if the top teams can finish in the, in, in the top three spots to try and make the playoffs, then there's something wrong. Uh, something's not right within those, within those three or four teams uh, in each league. So, each conference, sorry. So for me, um, it's about the other teams below them um, using the using the, the away games in South Africa and, uh, and all the new experiences to try and better them as a team. So when the season kicks off this time next year, they're trying to target that third place finish in the conference to try and make in the playoff. Um, it's all very exciting and it's, it's all very new to everyone. And you know, we'll see how it all pans out come come May time next year. Indeed, Stephen. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys. Take care. Bye bye. Right, now on to the women's Premier 15s. The results over the weekend, Darlington, Morden Park Sharks 28, Wasps, ladies 32, Furwood, Waterloo, ladies 16, Bristol, ladies 20, Gloucester, Hartbury, women's RFC 29, Richmond, nil, Worcester, Valkyries, nil, Sarsen 74, Loughborough Lightning 19, Harlequins 40. Now that leaves uh, Gloucester, Hartbury at the top, uh, along with Quinns on 15, then you've got Saracens, Bristol, Richmond, uh, Wasps, Loughborough, Darlington, Furwood, Waterloo and uh, Worcester, unfortunately, uh, grounded on the bottom. I'm very pleased that uh, we can now speak to Sarah Hunter, the England captain who was also at the Lightning. Uh, hello, Sarah. Hi, good evening. Hi. Can I just mention, um, is it right you can see the highlights of the uh, women's game on Premier15s.com? Yeah, absolutely. So our game against Harlequin was streamed live for the first time. So, um, yeah, the, the, um, that footage is still up, um, along with some highlights, I think, from the other games as well. Yeah, well, that's a, a good development. Um, it was a uh, 15-14, a tense opening uh, 40, and then um, Rachel Burford and uh, a few others stepped up to, to, to pull away. I, I'm quite interested in where all this talent came from for Harlequins because they weren't, you know, they weren't this... Um, 
sort of club. They weren't a Wasps or a, or a, a Saracens, uh, you know, or a Richmond bef- before then. Uh, how, where where are all these players, you know, gravitated from? So um, over the last few years, they forged a, a great relationship and partnership with Aylesford Bulls. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously with the, the new franchises that came into place for, for this season, um, they they came under Harlequins in, in their own right. Um, so yeah, over the last couple of years, it's just the development of the two teams. And, and then I think sort of the, the support structures that Harlequins have, have had have, have come to the fore and, and invested in the women's game, which has allowed them to, to produce the team that they have done over the last couple of years. And Sarah, just looking at Wasp's start to the season, I know there hasn't been very many matches, but by their standards, are they a little bit behind uh, where they'd want to be and where previously they have been? Or do you think there wouldn't be any panic stations, very early stages? How, how do you see that? Oh, no, Wasps have certainly um, developed since, since last year. I think since Giselle May has come into, has kind of come into the, the club, she's really um, sort of forced uh, Wasps on. And I think over the last few years, um, probably more so that they, they've probably struggled um, Sort of, they've been sort of mid to, to lower end of the table. So actually, um, I think they're starting to see sort of the fruition of the the hard work and sort of the infrastructure that they've had um, been put in in place over certainly the the last few months, if not if not longer. So I, I don't think they'll be hitting panic stations. And I think on Saturday they had a, a few key members um, balls to the squad. So it'll be good to see how they develop over the next few weeks. Uh, no one, you know, likes to see teams getting you know, seventy-two points put on them, and you, know, you have to feel sorry for for Worcester because they're obviously trying. But it doesn't help when you've got Marley Packer on the other side scoring six tries. Just, just how good is she? Yeah, no, Marley is a fantastic player, and I think um, Marley, when she hasn't played, and um, she's a, she's a player that that likes to to be on the pitch. And obviously, we were in an enforced break after the World Cup, so I think she's been itching to to get back on the pitch so unfortunately I think Worcester just had all that pent up sort of aggression that she hasn't been allowed to to play and she unleashed it on there but Worcester are in a period of of transition I think obviously they had um, uh, quite a few of their key members of the squad um, move on in the in the summer so they're sort of rebuilding from from scratch I think when they've got a, a lot of young talented players but at the minute, they probably just lack that experience and exposure to the top end rugby. So I'm sure with a little bit of time that they have together in, in building um, as a squad that towards the end of the season, we'll see them sort of start to turn those results round. Mm-hmm. Well, in contrast to um, the, the men's team, uh, Gloucester Hartbury um, uh, sitting pretty at the top of the, uh, of the league and uh, t- well, a 29-0 victory. Uh, over Richmond, who have traditionally been one of the powerhouses right from the start of of women's rugby, and four tries to get a bonus point, um, is this a sort of effort that's sustainable from them, or, or are people going to catch them up? No, I think um, Gloucester have built a, a really strong team over the summer because obviously they're a, a new team into into the Premier 15s league, and uh, they've recruited really strongly. Um, they've got a really core cool spine. Um, of players in the team, they've got Sarah Byrne, who obviously came to the fore in the the World Cup. It's a tight head, and then they've got some. They've got Courtney Gill in, in the second row, and Bianca Blackburn at nine, and uh, Kerry Large at, at ten. So they've got some real key players that are pulling the the strings for them in in key positions. So um, yeah, they've recruited really well, and obviously they've got Susie Appleby, who an ex player and a renowned coach that. Um, can um, really sort of develop their skills and pull them together as a team. 
What was your first game back uh, post-World Cup? How did it feel? Yeah, I know. It was great to get back on, on the pitch, that's for sure. My um, my body certainly felt it yesterday um, morning. Uh, but it was great. It's, it's a new team to, to get involved in. And it's really exciting. Uh, there's a really ambitious sort of um, blend of players here. And uh, we are new and we've got a lot of things to, to work on. And uh, we were good for 40 minutes. And I think we just got found out with some enforced errors and some areas that we need to work on against a strong Harlequin side. So, um we know where we're at now and um, I think we'll see ourselves progress over the season. But yeah, it's good to get out there with your new teammates and, and get running around again. Well, thanks, Sarah. Will you come back on uh, later in the season uh, give us an update on how it's going? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you very much. No problem. Bye-bye. Time now to speak to a top international rugby referee, Nigel Owens. Now, he's been away, but I don't think he's been putting his feet up. Nigel? <laughs> no, I certainly haven't. I'm well, Brian. How are you? I'm all right. Um, how's how's it been down under? Yeah, good. 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 Actually, yes. Um, some, some some two good games. Um, I was referee. It was it worked out pretty well, actually, to be honest, because um, obviously I was refereeing out there under the current laws that they still have, which we had last year. So I didn't have to go from one law change to the other. So I'll come back in, obviously, to to our new season now. But yeah, it was good. Um, Australia, New New Zealand, in in Dunedin was 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 a wonderful game of rugby. And then, even though the score was fifty-seven nil in the game, I refereed in in Auckland between New Zealand and South Africa. It, it still was a proper test match that, that needed refereeing, and uh, it, it didn't seem like a 57-nil score when you came when you came off. Although obviously that's what the scoreboard said, but it was yeah, there were two two, two quality games of rugby actually, and uh, so it was it was good to be involved in them. Hi Nigel, it's James here. Hi James, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. Um, just just quickly on that on that game you said then 57-nil. How good were the All Blacks? They were incredible, weren't they? You know, some of the charges yeah, were just they, amazing. Yeah, some of some of the handling because when you're refereeing a game, you, you don't really appreciate sometimes the skill and stuff involved until you watch the game back as part of the process and reviewing the game, just as like you do as as, as players. So it's only when you sit back and watch it again do you realise you know this was a great game or uh, the skill was great. But yeah, you know there were there were some touches you know winning that game when you know when when I was trying to keep up with the the Borden Barrett when he was going for that line and then all of a sudden he flicks the ball behind him and stuff. You do appreciate those. Those skills that you know that, that they have, and um, yeah, they certainly do have some some wonderful skills. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, very impressive. Um, I was hoping you might be able to clear a law up for me. I've, I've, I've not been out of the game that long, but I was kind of watching a game on the weekend, and and there was an instance. Could you clear up the taking the ball back into your twenty-two to then being able to kick the ball directly out in the full? So the ball was passed back into the twenty-two, a ruck was set, yeah. and then there was a pick and go that stayed within the twenty-two. And then the kick was allowed to be kicked directly out and the line out was up on the halfway or whatever it was. I thought because okay. the first pass went backwards, you know what I'm getting at. Could you kind of clear that up for yes, me? Yes, yes. There's, there's two little things to clear up here, actually. One is, is the little slight difference in the new law this year regarding um, touch and uh, 22 and goal, and which I'll explain in a minute. But to clear up the one you asked, first of all, is if the ball is, is passed back by the defending team, we'll call it, because obviously they're the ones defending their own 22. If the ball is taken back into their 22 and it can be passed back, if you get kicked back or if the last player touches it and it goes back into the 22, there has to be a phase taking place then before they can kick it straight out. So if I tap the ball, if I pass the ball back to you when you're 22 and you kick the ball straight out into touch, the line is going to be where you kicked it from. Not from the 22-meter line, where you kicked it from. Um, 
if I pass it back to you when you get tackled and then the ball is then sort of, you know, passed back from the tackle or passed off the ground after that tackle or there's been a ruck or there's been a maul, there's been a phase, then they can kick it straight into touch. So when they kick in the touch, then the line will be where the ball goes into touch because there's been a phase. So there has to be a tackle, ruck or, or maul for that to happen. The other slight difference this year is, if you remember last year, you used to see players, if the ball was kicked towards the goal line or kicked towards the dead ball line and the ball was still moving, you would see some players would sort of put their foot over the dead ball line and pick the ball up, which was moving, and then they'd get an option of a drop of 22 or a scrum back where the ball was kicked from. Or if the ball was rolling towards the try line or towards the 22, and if the ball is rolling towards the 22 and a player put his foot on the 22-meter line and picked the ball that was rolling up, before it actually gone to the 22, because the ball was rolling, it was deemed to be that he had not taken it back and he was entitled to kick it straight out. But now one of the new laws this year of when the ball isn't a touch, that's changed. So if the ball is rolling this year and you've got a foot in the 22 and you pick that ball up that is rolling towards you before it gets into the 22, it'll be same as the current law then regarding taking it back. You can't kick that directly out of touch you can do but the line will be where it where it crossed back or where you kicked it from uh, just uh, finally th- this is something I wanted to speak to you uh, for a while because I uh, noticed th- this year the, the new um, tackle uh, laws around the breakdown can't play it from the other side and so on but one thing I've noticed is a lot of players um, when they're tackled there's actual tackle being made. So a knee's gone down, they're, they're on the floor. But because the tacklers are so paranoid about either getting caught in there and held in, giving a penalty where referees say they're you know, not rolling away, or a desire to try and get on the feet and play the ball, they are actually completing a tackle, letting go of the player quite quickly. And the player, seemingly, when it all happens in real time, looks as though he's not being tackled. He actually has been tackled. But then they roll forward or they take an extra, you know, couple of three, four, five metres crawling, immediately advances the... Um, off sideline, which is much more difficult for the defenders, when in reality, actually, the same tackle laws apply and they should either be playing the ball or getting to the feet before they can move forward. Are referees aware that this is happening more often or is it, is it, am I seeing things that aren't there? No, you, you, you're quite right, Brian, in what you're saying, and we are aware of that. And I've, I've actually just landed in Paris now because I'm here for an ECPR referee camp tomorrow on Wednesday and obviously this will be something we'll be discussing. It was something we discussed during the mini camps we had uh, during the um, rugby championship when I was out in New Zealand. Um, what is happening now, you're quite right, players are being tackled, they're being put to ground and what they try to do then, the tackle is completed, so the law is quite clear if you're tackled and you're held and you're put to ground now, you've got to judge, was he actually held or not? So if he's not quite held, he falls to the ground, but you weren't quite holding him when you actually got to the ground, then it's not the tackle completed, so he's entitled to to get back up on his feet with a ball in his possession. But what a lot of players are doing now is when they're getting tackled to ground, they are trying to move a little bit extra forward, which makes it then more difficult for the defending player above them to compete and get that ball off them. So all they're doing is just 
trying a second or two, illegally in that case, if they're doing that, if the tackle's been completed, they're buying a second or two so that their own team can get there and clear out before the defending team gets on the ball and holding on. So it is something that's crept in. It, it, it probably is a coaching ploy, probably. I would assume when these things happen, it's something that the coaches are doing um, to try and make it more difficult for the players. Yeah, so it is something we're aware of and it's something uh, we certainly, we were told in, in the rugby championship that's something we need to to deal with uh, and that ensures something that will come up in the next couple of days for us to be aware of and, and to deal with to make sure that if you are held in ball to ground that you abide by the tackle law which means you release the ball immediately get to the feet and only then can you regather the ball Nigel I'm sorry that's all we've got time for but can uh, come back and tell us um, what was discussed how it was discussed and what's, uh, what's come out of the old meeting we're very interested in that Cheers will do thanks Brian all the best thank you Right, uh, time to turn our attention to the great game of rugby league, and uh, there were some, well, there were two cracking semi-finals in the Betfred Super League uh, over last weekend. Leeds Rhinos eighteen, Hull sixteen, Castleford Tigers twenty-three, St Helens twenty-two. I'm very pleased that we've got the great Gary Schofield who can uh, take us through them. Gary, um, in 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 my code, penalties are obviously important, but there are a lot more of them because of uh, the complexity of the game. But it, it showed me the effect of penalties, certainly in the Tigers game, you know, because they were, I felt they were held back in the first half by the number of penalties they gave away. And then you know, it, it sort of swung a little bit and that gave them back the momentum, allowed them to uh, get some field position. And from them, they, they, they profited. Yeah, they did indeed, and uh, they say also as well, Brian, from a point of view, when you when you look at the rugby union goal kickers as well, they don't miss too many, do they? And uh, certainly from St. Helens' point of view, and even Hull as well, yeah. where we might need missing his uh, his two pointers, which would have equal the game there but yeah if you if you give penalties away uh, in rugby league it just gives you good field position it gives you that momentum and I say whether you go for the two points or not it, it just puts you in a backward step and if you keep inviting quality sides certainly in semi-finals mm-hmm. into your half into your own 22 then you're going to get penalised and that's exactly what happened in these two semi-finals which as you mentioned Brian they were absolute belters and a great advertisement for, for our product Well you, you have to feel sorry for Mark Percival because after all you know he's at the bottle to take on the goal kicking duties, but I have to say, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not a kicker, but um, he did, the problem with it, we didn't seem to strike the ball particularly well, you know, for a lot of them. It wasn't a case that he was he was making great contact and they were just missing the. It, for me, I don't know whether it's a question of um, it's a question of confidence or or tiredness or whatever. Well, well, I would say, Brian. I think it's pressure. To be honest with you, I think when, right. when he missed, when he missed, uh, when he missed the last one, you could see he held his head down and thinking, "Oh no, no, what have I done? What have I done here?" You know. But, uh, but yeah, I think it was pressure because overall, Percival this year, he has been pretty consistent with his goal kicking from there. And I think he missed uh, three out of the four from that sort of distance. You would expect a quality goal kicker to at least kick one of them. Yeah. But listen, at the end of the day, you know, said tell if, if I'm honest with you, Brian, said tell for the full eighty minutes, and I think everybody agrees, even Cass fans would agree. Saints were the better side, but uh, and I say Castleford, the show, that sort of character. Everybody was asking the question: Were they going to handle the pressure? They handled the pressure. They got themselves back into the game. They said Tellens played at the end, pulled Shenton down. Cool as a cucumber, uh, Luke Gale kicking the two points penalty, and then we all know what happened: the one pointer and put Castleford to the first the first grand final since it started. 
1996 in Super League, sensational from Castleford. Yeah, I mean, you have to pay tribute to, to Gale and the way he's come back, you know, from, from injury and so on. It, it seemed, uh, you know, almost too good to be true that he, that he lasted the game, but, but, but not only that, that he made the decisive contributions at the end. Absolutely, and I say, what was it, about 18 days ago when he had an appendix operation, which, you know, we, we all know nowadays it's, you know, maybe yeah, a little bit easier than what it was years ago. Back in our days, I guess, Brian, to be honest with you, in our days, well, when he was a, a massive scalpel or a saw, now it's just keyhole surgery. And, and when he, uh, you know, when he scored his try, he said to everybody, don't worry about that, my appendix are all right. But yeah, he showed great character, the kid as well, and handled the pressure. Um, but unfortunately, Percival didn't handle that pressure, and uh, Luke Gale did, and Casford, they fully deserve to where they're going to get, and that's the old trap of this weekend. Well, it's interesting because rarely when you have such fierce rivalry amongst clubs and the geographical um, spread of them is quite close, do you get magnanimity for one club? But I detect a feeling that the whole of, uh, of Super League, in a sense, uh, apart from their own clubs, they are saying that actually Castleford, for what they've done over the last few years, the way they've built uh, the organic growth, the way that they've been coached and the sort of product of players they're putting out actually deserve to be in the grand final and a lot, a lot of people are willing them to, to go on and win it. Yeah, they are indeed. And the big thing about it as well, we've got a fresh side there. Casford have never been there and also to everybody's hopefully, that's what they're hoping is that it's going to be a new name on the trophy. But uh, one thing for sure, you can't write Leeds off. And obviously, yeah, Brian, as you well know, I'm an ex-Leeds captain, I'm an ex-Leeds player and uh, I made a prediction today uh, in my column what I do in the, uh, in the League Express and I said Casford is going to beat us by 20 points. And I've explained why because... Okay. Leeds have uh, Leeds have not beaten Casford, I think now for the last nine times. When you look at when you look at all this season, what Casford have done to us, I just can't see Leeds winning. The only way Leeds will win this game on Saturday is if they stay in this game for a very long period. If there's only five or six points in it, and Leeds are in this game in the last twenty. 15 minutes, then that's how that's the chance what they can win. But if Castleford, they will be looking for the big start, what they've always had against Leeds over the last few, uh, few games, and they'll be looking to burn Leeds off in the first half. The only chance Leeds have got, have got to win this weekend is if they stay in the game for, long, for a long period, pressure will tell. Leeds have been there, won the t shirt. We all know how many grand finals they have won. So I guess the question will be can Cass handle it? If they can't, then as I say, Leeds, Leeds certainly. They will handle that pressure, but uh, I'm getting plenty of stick, Brian. Uh, <laughs> well, you, do, I, you always do if you give an opinion, so don't worry. Exactly, man. You know, you're a pundit like I am, and, and, and I can only give on what I see. I don't yep. make things up. I, I, I explain myself in, in a proper way from a point of view. Yep. When you look at when you look at the Casford team, you look at the Leeds team. I wouldn't say anybody realistically, maybe Parcells or, or maybe Maxine Hooker, where any Leeds player could maybe get into that Casford side. So when you look at the both uh, teams, when you look at what's happened over the last. Uh, season or two there's only one winner for mine but as I said Leeds with the experience what they've got there'll be a bit of emotion with Robbie Burrow and Danny Maguire but I reckon there's a new uh, a new name on the trophy for this uh, come what 8 o'clock quarter past 8 on Saturday night and that's Casford Tigers Well the interest I mean Leeds for all their um, dominance in the first half they really you know I was thinking actually you should be further in front and yet it, to me it seemed that what turned the second half for a couple of completely unnecessary penalties which seeded you know ground and from that point on you know Hull got a toe hold in the game the forwards came back into the game uh, you know and they did uh, they did what they, they, they can do and they recorded scores but if Leeds get into that situation against Castleford they're going to have to put more points on the board 
Oh, yeah, they are, yeah. And I say, yeah, even though Leeds were leading 12 6 at half time, I would imagine the happiest of coach would, was Lee Radford. Obviously, he wasn't happy after 18 minutes, but yeah, after 40 minutes, he would have been the happiest because Hull didn't play. Hull didn't turn up for the first 30 minutes, and he can't give any sign. Certainly, semi final football, pressurised football, that sort of start. And yeah, Hull themselves built it in. Great try from Gareth Ellis, the Warrior Eagles. He, he was outstanding for the black and whites on Friday night. But, uh, but as I say, but what Hull did in the second half, took control but then they invited Leeds back into the game and if you do that against any sort of quality side they have got players who will score tries they, you will get punished and I say Liam Sutcliffe he seems to have found his place now in the centre quality try for him that's the best try he scored for Leeds and I would imagine the most important so far of his career so as I've mentioned Brian if Leeds are in this game against Castleford in the last 20-15 minutes one thing for sure you can't write them off that's true and I think you know for, for them to to have a hope of winning, you know, the big names like Danny Maguire, Ryan Hall, who've who've been there and, and done that, Jamie Jones, they they've got to really lead the way. Oh, they, they have, yeah, yeah. and uh, say all, all all the big players from there, and uh, say, but, <coughs> but but the point of view is going to be is that Parcel, he's been outstanding, Cuppertson from there, and what they've got to do, they've got to make sure they play for the full eighteen minutes. Because as I've said, Casford will be looked to blow them away in the first half and make it easier for themselves. Because Daniel Powell's a very very smart coach, he knows. He knows the longer that Leeds are in the game, don't worry about that. He knows that they will, they will make sure that they can handle the pressure and they will take their opportunities if they come along. So this is going to be a very fascinating game. Is it going to be Leeds where they're going to just put pressure and pressure play boring and take the chances? Or, it's, or what people are asking is, can Castleford win the grand final by playing this style of rugby? Of course they can. Why can't they? They've destroyed plenty of sides this year and i tell you what, they will be lucky to put an exhibition on come Saturday night. And uh, as I say... Does it give me any joy in saying it as being next captain and next player of Leeds? But I reckon it's Castlewood by 20. Uh, when it, it's interesting because when you're talking about sentiment in the game, I detect also that whilst no one um, particularly wanted to do down Lee Centurions, there was a, a general feeling that, that the game, Rugby League needed Catalan to stay in the Super League. And I'm thinking to myself... Um, I can understand why, from an expansion point of view and sort of you know a, a visibility point of view, but actually, um, in many ways, although they they, they won reasonably comfortably, they, they, for what they've had there, they don't really deserve. They don't really deserve this chance. Uh, Brian, I, I totally agree, and uh, and I say I think I said uh, on, the, on your show a couple of weeks ago, them players at times have been absolute disgrace to that jersey, and uh, they deserve to where they want to get, and they deserve to be in that million pound game, and. And to be honest, it was only Lee's bizarre performance. I don't, I'm still trying to work out now, was it good, bad or indifferent? But it was just sheer bizarre. They got themselves in a lead. But then all of a sudden, it was just like they've been all season at times, just yep. in discipline. In discipline, Catalans didn't even have to play well to win that game. It was just a matter of Lee, Lee realistically invited them into their own 22. They took the, the, the goal points, as, as you saw, they were Luke Walsh kicking all the penalties. But Lee just weren't smart enough. And, and the way they played on Saturday, they fully deserve where they're going. And that's a championship. But I would imagine the Catalans now, they'll be making sure. They have got to realise they can't keep signing overseas journeymen who couldn't care less about that Catalans jersey. Absolutely. Uh, Neil Dukes, um, the uh, Lisa Jewish coach, said, look, I would have said this before uh, the game, but I don't think the million-pound game should uh, exist. I think it should be scrapped. <laughs> and uh, I would have said that before we were promoted. Um would he? Hey, listen, at the end of the day, everybody knows, everybody knows uh, before the start of the season what the situation is. So if you don't want to be in the million-pound game, get, like, make sure that your players are playing consistent week in and week out. It's as simple as that. you know. So everybody knows, and I just find it 
uh, a poor excuse when we find from there. And, you know, we're, we're looking to maybe change the format. Next year's going to be still the same in 2018, but they're looking maybe to change it in 19 to maybe 14 sides. So the question is there. But unfortunately, everybody knows what the situation is, and it's quite simple. Lee haven't been good enough, and they deserve where they're going, and that's back in the Championship. Uh, just finally, Toronto uh, signing um, Joe Westerman from Warrington, 130,000. Now, in terms of uh, football transfers, nothing at all, but um, that's a bit of a sign, isn't it, of their ambition? Mm, it is, without doubt. And uh, I say, Joe, as well, it's, uh, I think, well, I, I, I still like to think he's ambitious of maybe going to the World Cup, but maybe he's been told that he's not, he's not going to get around this time from there. But on his day, yeah, Joe Westerman's a quality player. For him, it's just a matter of. Uh, consistency, but uh, left Warrington, maybe looking for a new challenge. It'll certainly be a new challenge at Toronto uh, in the Championship. They sign in quality. I just hope that I hope they sign more quality rather than some of the journeymen what they have signed. And certainly the big Dave Taylor was coming from Australia. But from there, they seem to know what they're doing. Brian Noble and Paul Rowley, good signing, Joe Westerman. Gary, come back and uh, have a chat to us after the grand final, which I'm sure will be a tremendous spectacle. I'm looking forward to it. I will do indeed. Thanks again, Brian, for Take your time. Take care, mate. Thanks. Uh, very nearly uh, the end now. Uh, James, thank you uh, very much. Is there, is there one thing since you've finished uh, playing that, that, what, that you miss? Is there anything or you... I, I, may, basically my Saturdays I miss I miss the, the pre-match nerves in a funny way which I never thought I would miss but I miss the, the getting ready to, to go down to King's Home the, you know, the not having my breakfast as such because um, I know something's coming in the afternoon. Uh, it did feel strange getting my weekends back. It felt good and bad in a funny way, but yeah. Um, but yeah, still, I don't miss being on the end of a fifty-seven ten defeat. But I do certainly miss still pulling on the jersey. Yeah. Well, you've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with the Telegraph. That's all we've got time for this week. Thank you very much to my co-host James Simpson Daniel, and as always to my producer Abby Patterson. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast. It's completely free, and that way you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.